sisters, it's time to sit down, sit back, and head back in time as we talk vintage, vintage, vintage. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're talking all things vintage this week, and we've uh-huh. got a great guest, world-famous RV restoration expert, Tim Heinz from Heinz Designs in Panama City, Florida. Well, that's true, but uh, should we start with telling people who we are? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, well, I'm Peggy, and I dig camping, traveling, and vintage RVs. And my name's Tony, and I'm an RV rider addicted to all things vintage. And before we really get into the vintage, we wanted to just mention that some people are a little frustrated with finding places to camp, and so they are buying property to permanently put their RV or to have a permanent place that they can take their RV. Yeah. One of the good things about that is... If you have a new RV or a vintage RV, it doesn't matter. It's your property. That's true. Uh, We know at least two people who have bought land specifically as like a an RV specific home base, including Mm -hmm. our friend traveling Robert Robert Morales. Right. He calls his place Pelicamp. Pelicamp because his fans are Pelican heads. Right. And then, well, he bought a second place. Yes, too. Oh, that's true. So he there's Pelicamp and then Mike and Jen Wendland. They bought a place, I think, in Tennessee, and Robert bought one there, too. Yeah, so they're next-door neighbors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were at their place, uh, you know, just hanging out and getting it ready. And a drone goes flying over, and that was Robert. Right. So... So check out Robert at Live in the RV Dream and check out Mike and Jennifer at RV Lifestyle. Yeah, two other RV podcasts that you might enjoy. And if you are interested in purchasing land, they are the people who can help, you know, give you some tips and information. Now, I do want to say, having come from working for the county, <laughs> Before you purchase, make sure that you check the local codes and regulations and make sure that where you want to buy actually allows you to put your RV on the site. Yeah, there are a lot of places it is not permitted to have an RV to occupy mm-hmm. long term right. on land. And you might go, well, it's my land, but yeah. We, yeah, there's you still know, rules. Yeah. There's rules, so. <laughs> Anyway, you know the old saying, if you don't like the laws, work to make a change. That's right. There's the most politics you're going to get. And now (laughs) we're going to charge up things. We have often talked about how much we like Lion Energy's reliable lifetime warrantied lithium power. But did you know Lion also makes a range of portable power solutions like the one we use to power our own vintage trailer when we're on the go? That's right. The Lion Energy Safari portable power solution offers all the benefits of Lion Energy lithium power, but in a total package that you can use to power your vintage RV, your modern RV, or even your devices in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you can charge them with solar, the power port in your vehicle, or of course, any wall outlet, and then bring powerful, reliable Lion Energy Lithium Power with you wherever you go. You can power anything from your smartphone to your entire RV, and there are expansion kits to extend your adventure even further. Plus, if you use the coupon code STRESSLESS at checkout, that's S-T-R-E-S-S, L-E-S-S, stressless at checkout, you can get a 15% discount on any Lion Energy product from powerful lithium batteries to portable power stations. To find these great discounts on these outstanding products, visit stresslesscamping.com. 
check out our discounts and deals page and there's a link there so you can hear an interview with dave whitlock from lion energy and find your way over to lion's website to take advantage of that discount you know, probably the nation's foremost go-to guy on vintage trailer is Tim Hines. Tim's company, Hines Designs, in Panama City, Florida, is a great place to take a trailer or buy one. But even more, Tim has been very, very gracious with his encyclopedic knowledge of all things vintage in so many places on social media. So after two years of trying, we have finally been fortunate enough to have Tim as our guest this week. And... If you love anything to do with vintage RVs, here we go. We are very fortunate after, I think, about two years of (laughs) asking to have the one and only Tim Heinz from Heinz Designs, a company that restores restores and sells vintage trailers in Florida. Tim, welcome. Welcome. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, It's a pleasure. For those of you who aren't in the vintage trailer world, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Tim is probably the foremost authority on restoring vintage trailers in the U.S. And maybe the world. Yeah. I'm just a little bit addicted, that's all. Well, I mean, it's so amazing because on the forums where we are there together, if somebody says, oh, you know, in 1965, what was the shortest aristocrat? And you'll come back with, no, no, they didn't start till 1968. And it was the low liner. And I have their brochures. Yeah. Yeah. I do have quite a collection of vintage trailer memorabilia ads, brochures. You know, I do collect a lot of trailers as well, but the memorabilia kind of helps me keep from having to store a lot of trailers that, you know, it kind of helps feed my addiction. (laughs) How did you get into this hobby? You know, it, it started very early in my life. I mean, I know I'm not as old as most people would think in this industry. I'm, I'm about to be 39 years old, so I am still young for being in a vintage trailer uh, hobby. Mm-hmm. But uh, my family's always been into vintage antiques, mostly cars. It wasn't serious collectors, but it was daily drivers and just Mustangs and stuff to have fun with. And living on the beach, we'd always cruise in the cars. But the camping history kind of comes in. My parents would always camp with me as a young child, but my extended family, my mother's parents and my father's parents, both had a history back in the forties and fifties of traveling in trailers with their families from job sites to job sites. My mother's parents were um, union workers. So they traveled from location to location with that we would call vintage today, but they were from the fifties, <laughs> big trailers. We're talking like 45 footers that they would pull with a family car. And um, it makes the movie the long, long trailer look like a yeah. walk in the park. I mean, their <laughs> stories are great. And then my dad's side of the family, they were military. So they were Navy. So they traveled from Navy base to Navy base with a 35 foot continental from 1954. So the history does go back well before I was around, but um, I was very fortunate that both sets of grandparents lived basically within a block away at different locations. My mother's parents, they had a 1958 skyline. It was a 45 footer, all pink, pink appliances, pink plumbing fixtures. It was just (laughs) that typical fifties trailer. And as a 45 footer, it was a two, two full bedroom. And it was my grandparents in the back bedroom. And in the front bedroom, my mother and her two brothers shared their entire life until they were adults and out of the house. But they traveled from job site to job site from 1958 with that trailer until about 1972. Um, That was when my grandfather finally retired. 
And out of all the places they traveled around, Panama City, Florida, where I'm at now, was their favorite location. So they bought a piece of property here in Panama City, right on the water. It is canal front, um, salt water. And they literally settled down with the perfect vintage trailer, Florida Life. That 1958 skyline was the only home they ever had until they passed away. Wow. When they passed away, I inherited it. I still have the trailer. It's still all original. And um, that's how I fell in love with it. Because growing up my entire life, a block away, I was always at my grandparents and just fell in love with the vintage trailer, the aspect of the wood inside, the vintage appliances, everything. That's kind of where I got the, the idea of when I was in high school. I'm like, you know, that's a very efficient way to live. I mean, that's all I ever knew of my grandparents. So they literally lived in like a 380 square foot home. And it, it, it was a home. It always felt like a home. I never thought it was ridiculously small being eight by 45. And I'm like, when I go off to college, I want something very similar to live in. So at 14, I kind of was pre-planning well in advance. <laughs> I, was out, I was out looking for a vintage trailer to purchase because they were cheap back then and restore while I was finishing high school and community college. And my first vintage trailer purchase was a 1958 Hicks. It was 28 foot long. Loved it because it was really set up more as a floor plan of like a miniature mobile home. Even at 28 foot long, it had a private bedroom in the back that had a full three quarter size bed in it, freestanding, a full bathroom with a bathtub, toilet and sink, full kitchen with a little dinette that was freestanding vintage fifties dinette and a full living room. So it literally was like the best efficiency apartment you could have. Wow. And the money I put into it, I found a great park that was, had a little permanent section for snowbirds. So I was everybody's grandson, which was perfect because <laughs> <laughs> I had real food every night. They were always bringing me food. I so was, was going to say, I know you ate well. <laughs> working college student. My rent was only 350 a month when all my friends were paying like a thousand dollars for their uh, apartments. And it was really the perfect, you know, little vintage trailer life in Florida. I went to Florida A&M, got my degree in architecture and, but that started the addiction after I got the first vintage trailer. It's like, yeah, I got to have more. Didn't know what I was going to do with more, but I had to have more. And so it kind of <laughs> grew from there. And I did graduate with my degree in architecture, worked as an architect for a while at different firms. But when the economy really tanked back in the early 2000s, I'm like, you know, let me try to do trailers on the side. So I started my first commercial restoration for somebody in my parents' backyard. And every trailer I restored, one at a time by myself, allowed me to get just a little bit more funds to either build like a carport, then it grew into a freestanding pole barn. Then I was able to close it in, concrete it in. I had a really (laughs) nice building. And then it just got to the point it grew to, I had to have employees. I moved to downtown (laughs) Panama city and it just kind of progressed. And you know, I never would have thought it would have grown into what it did. I thought that was going to just be a temporary stepping stone until the economy got better in architecture. Well, here I am 15 years later, not 20 years, well, 20 years now, and I've never, never looked back <laughs> and I love it. And Heinz Designs is a, is a place that people can go to, to bring a trailer and you guys will do restorations there. Oh yes. We specialize in high end restorations and we keep about a three to four year waiting list. So we keep a really busy schedule. 
That's and awesome. And for full restorations. We can get repair jobs in a little bit quicker. And you have vintage trailers for sale as well. Yes. We don't usually have as many now as we do because we don't have the time to do our own restorations and then sell <laughs> those. Um, so anything we usually have may be that, you know, we have a client that's got a trailer for sale, so we'll list it on our website and, and help find new owners for these trailers. And, I mean, who would have known or predicted how – very popular vintage trailer. What, what do you attribute the popularity of vintage trailers? Because they're hot now. They are. They're very hot. And the prices are really going up on them. And it's nostalgia. Everybody loves that simpler time period. You do get people that want to modernize vintage trailers, and I get that. I'm the type that I really love my personal trailers to be exactly the way were originally, whether they're from the 40s or from the 50s. And when I go camping, I do not take TVs with me. I don't take anything modern. I just want to get away from the rat race and just love that easy, just just camping and enjoying getting away. Yeah. That's super cool. Since obviously you are years behind on being able to help people, but but obviously can still make time. If somebody finds a, a vintage trailer, what are what are things you would think they should look for if they plan to restore it themselves? And what, what kind of things are they in store for? First, you probably need a good psychiatrist or a counselor <laughs> or something. <laughs> so make sure you're mentally stable. Uh, it will work on your nerves. Now, wait, I have to stop you when there. When you start. We, we, I told you we have a 1970 aristocrat. So you despite <laughs> my not being mentally stable, we still bought a vintage trailer. Yes. We should have asked for the rules first. <laughs> That's not how we roll. Right. But it's a lot of fun, you know. I encourage anybody, if they're thinking about it, go forward with it. But keep in mind, it's going to be a lot of hard work. You get mm -hmm. all these people that will post online of, oh, I've got this great idea. I'm just going to get an old trailer, make it pretty, fix it up. Yeah, you'll get to that point. But you've got to remember, you've got to put a lot of groundwork in first. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, lot of issues that usually are hidden. And my <laughs> rule of thumb is, you know, if you see a trailer, no matter how good a vintage trailer looks, there's going to at least be 60% of damage that you can never lay eyes on until you really start getting into it. But it's not overly difficult work. It's work that I believe anybody can do. If you do your research and you've got basic skills, it really does help to have somewhere to work on the trailer that's undercover or in a garage or in a building. That's really going to make your life easier. So if you are limited on working on space, at least somewhat out of the elements undercover, you may want to start with a smaller trailer that'll fit undercover. Don't try to do something big. That's going to be out in the open. Some people will try to put tarps on them, but once you start getting, you know, the skin off and putting tarps on them, it's going to aggravate you. Yeah. You know, make your life easy. Work smart. Don't work difficult. Strike two. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think the whole episode could be, okay, look at what Tony and Peggy are yeah. doing. And then and just, don't, don't do that. Thing. <laughs> but as you can, you know, you can tell everybody it is a learning experience. I'm sure you've learned a lot. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. uh, one of the, one of the greatest tools I bought in this restoration is a boroscope because <laughs> i i was so thrilled with the way this trailer is laid out and and everything and i poured water down the kitchen sink and got a flood in the bathroom and uh-oh yeah on the complete <laughs> opposite end of the trailer i'm yeah, like why is this floor all of a sudden wet and so oh, yes. I, I had to find where is that leak in the plumbing that exactly take out the shower <laughs> You know, a yeah. lot of people will get discouraged, but just if you get discouraged, just step away from it, you know, take a week off and then, you know, 
get your head back into a position where this is the order I need to go in. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if you're lost, reach out to somebody. You know, there's plenty of people in this industry that are willing to help. They can contact me. I don't mind helping with some advice if I can. Just know what you're getting into. But there's two types of trailers in the vintage industry, and they both have their pros and cons. And I'll touch on that just a little bit to kind of give people some tips. You'll either have typical wood frame trailers like the Canhams or the Aristocrats or the Shastas, or you have the metal frame trailers, which may be like the Airstreams that are aluminum frame or Vagabonds that are steel frame. They're two very different types of construction. The general rule is a lot of people don't like wood frame trailers because they say, oh, they're going to have rot in them. You don't have to worry about rot in a metal frame trailer, but a wood frame trailer, you may have a lot of wood rot. Well, that's true. So know that going in, but the good thing about a wood frame trailer, even if it has a lot of rot in it, you can take a 16-foot trailer and a screw gun and have the entire trailer taken apart in less than a day. You can take every bit of skin off of it. You can get down to the problems and see what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So while there may be a little bit of a negative of, yes, a wood frame trailer can have a lot more damage, and you got to worry about 60 years worth of, you know, water intrusion rot, it is very easy to work on and a lot quicker. Now, on the other side of that is metal frame trailers, whether it's a steel frame or aluminum frame. Those, the pro on that is you don't have to worry about interstructural rot. So, you know, you're already getting a good frame and a good body to work with. Mm-hmm. but it can be a lot more hours into doing repairs where a wood frame trailer, you can have every bit of skin off of it in a few hours, an aluminum trailer, especially if it's riveted, it may take you six to seven hours to remove just one panel. So keep that in mind too. If you're going to have to pay to have this work done, or you're wanting to pay to have this work done, you know, if you've got one aluminum panel damaged on a wood frame trailer, yeah, that's maybe an hour and a half worth of work mm-hmm. in your material versus an aluminum frame trailer that may be seven hours worth of work and a lot more expensive. So keep that in mind too when you're trying to budget repairs. Just because you may have one tear in skin on an aluminum frame trailer, that may cost you a lot more than a wood frame. So there are pros and cons you have to balance out with the two different construction types. And know that a metal frame trailer it's very easy to go inside because I know a lot of people, first timers like to find a trailer that, oh, I just want to take everything out of the inside and do my own thing inside. Well, you really need to do that with a metal frame trailer. They do not get their interior structural support from the interior built-ins mm. versus a wood, a wood frame trailer. That is the case. You cannot or should not go in and gut a wood frame trailer because you will weaken the strength of the structural integrity closets and even base cabinets. Somebody may seem think something as simple as just a lower kitchen cabinet or an upper kitchen cabinet really has no effect on the trailer, but it does. It keeps your wall and your ceiling or your floor and your walls perpendicular to each other. And you can't remove those from the inside because most of the time those screws are put in at a factory from the exterior before the sheet metal goes on. So just know the difference between those two basic types of construction. And you're going to be so much better off knowing that up front. In some ways it's kind of easy to tell because typically the metal frame trailers have an aluminum skin that's smooth and the wood yes. frame, it's corrugated. But that that's not always true. But Not always the case, but that is very typical. Mm-hmm. That's something that, again, we've learned is taking off walls. I mean, the you know, people always say, oh, these the old stuff is made so well. And, and of course, there are definitely cases of that. But there are also cases where these were just built as today as quickly as possible mm-hmm. with yes 
whatever. But I'm amazed. Like this aristocrat is a 21 foot trailer. It's uh, 2,100 pounds. It's very right. light. You know, people sometimes get that misconception that vintage is heavier. They think, oh, it's older material, it's heavier material. Well, you don't have a battery bank. You don't have compressed wood. You don't have, you know, miles of speaker wire. And, depending, <laughs> on the dec- and depending on the decade, you don't have, you know, miles of 12 volt. You don't have holding tanks. You know, there's a lot more modern conveniences or even TVs. I mean, a lot of your modern RVs today, it's not uncommon to have four or five TVs. <laughs> that, stuff, that stuff adds weight. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes the vintage is lighter, but don't just assume vintage is light enough that you can pull it with a very lightweight frame car or a very lightweight frame SUV. Please know your weight capabilities of your vehicle because, yes, they did pull these with cars back then, but... Cars were beefier back then. Cars back then were the trucks of today. Yeah. My vintage car that I pulled trailers with is a 1969 Pontiac Bonneville. Oh. It's it's a beast. Yeah. But my grandparents bought it brand new. It's got a 428 HO engine in it, which is 390 horsepower. That's 10 more horsepower and a bigger chassis than my big F-250. So, yes, the cars were basically the big trucks of that time period. So, don't just think... Because, oh, they pulled with a Pontiac back in the 60s that you can pull it with your Kia today. Yeah, <laughs> well, they're built different. differently too, but that big V8 has tons of torque and a yes. big heavy frame underneath that car. They look like cars, but they're built the same as pickups are today. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, a whole different inch line. That's a very good point. <laughs> what are some of the things people might be surprised to find about vintage trailers? You know, the biggest thing I think they'll they'll be surprised of, even after all the hard work, they will be surprised at the attention they'll get when they start using it. You know, everywhere you go, whether you pull in at a gas station or even at a red light, people are going to be asking you about it. So <laughs> it's very fun to, to share your experiences and the hard work that you did. And I think that makes it worth it in the long run. Mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of stuff in the collector car world. And one of the things I found was... If you're going to buy a vintage whatever, Corvairs were one of my things. <laughs> you go and join the Corvair Club. They have the resources and the insights and know where the parts are and all of that. Well, just like with this Aristocrat, we joined Aristocrats Anonymous. Well, technically, we joined Aristocrats Anonymous like five years ago when it started. <laughs> and they've been very, very kind to let us hang out with them, yeah. even though we didn't have an aristocrat until very recently. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's fortuitous that yeah. you're Some right. of our best friends started it, so. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah Bevy Emil, shout out to Bevy. Yeah, the vintage trailer community is, is a great resource. And there yeah. are a lot of groups that are specific to certain brands, but there are some brands that don't have that specific groups to help you with. But the good thing is, most of these brands use interchangeable parts. Mm -hmm. So find you a group that's vintage trailer specific, but not maybe a brand specific. I'm also the representative, Southeast representative of the Tin Can Tourist, which is a great group. I mean, we are basically a vintage trailer themed group now, but we are the oldest camping club in the world, founded in 1919. We're still very active. Matter of fact, I just got back last week. I host the big national winter convention in Central Florida, where we have well over 150 vintage trailers that attend that event. Wow. It's amazing to go to an event like that and share with everybody else your knowledge because you'll you'll receive knowledge from other people as well. Mm-hmm. And you never know. You may have never seen another trailer that's the same year make model as yours, but when you go to an event like that, 
you may end up finding the exact, you know, match to yours. And that can be so exciting. Yeah. Well, it's amazing the parts that are still available. Someone spray painted all of our windows. And so I thought, well, I'll just get some citrus strip and paint and take it out. So I took apart one of the windows and I went vintage trailer supply i think they had all the gaskets so i bought all new gaskets and new taillights that match the old taillights and wheels were getting the baby moons and and just it's so cool to that so much of this stuff is is readily available Mm -hmm. and that's the fun part when you get to that point that you can start putting the stuff back on the trailer and some things that we've been finding that aren't necessarily well i mean even the You know, let's face it, that rubber gasket isn't actually, wasn't built, made in the 50s. (laughs) Wouldn't be in very good shape. But, you know, with the advent of the 3D printer, and now there's a person in the aristocrats group that makes the cone-shaped wall sconces. Yes. Not the part that attaches to the wall, but the part that, the the globe, yeah, Yeah, the the shade. And also we got 3D printed new badges because all the badges are broken off and faded away and so not all it still does say well, you're following says, an aristocrat well it does say that and it says landline yeah it says landline <laughs> on the side and i'm thinking that's a big long telephone cord yeah, <laughs> yeah tin can tourist is a is a great resource tell us a little more about that organization if you would yeah it started in 1919 and they were founded just outside of tampa um in ybor city it's just started out as a camping club to begin with because there but weren't vintage then, campers back then. <laughs> right, they were new, they were new back then. But um, it grew into one of the largest camping clubs ever. By the 1930s, their memberships were around a quarter of a million members in the Tin Can Tourists. Wow! So it was a very large organization, as large, especially with tourism in Florida. I mean, they were based out of Florida, but they did a lot of com- what they called conventions back then, which we call rallies, all over the country, especially the East Coast. They'd have their big events in Michigan in the spring and summer, and then in the fall and winter have, you know, in the in Florida area. <laughs> because a lot of people that retired back then that traveled to Florida did so in the wintertime. They'd winter in Florida, summer back up in, in Michigan. They founded friendships, and they were excited to see each other every year. So it just kept growing as a big camping club. And I guess around 1998, you know, the club was reformatted into a vintage-specific club which doesn't mean you have to own vintage. Actually, the Tin Can Tourist is open to anybody. You can have a brand new 2022 and join Tin Can Tourist. Unlike some clubs where you have to have a specific make or model or year, really the only founding guidelines of membership for Tin Can Tourist is to just love vintage trailers and appreciate vintage trailers. So you can come to our rallies and events in your brand new rig and enjoy right there in the middle of us with all of our dances and our entertainment. And our, I mean, we, we have all kinds of fun at our rallies they are usually about four days long, even if you have a brand new rig, because I'm sure it won't be long till you catch the bug and you may be looking for your own. <laughs> yep. Yep. So Tim was talking about his grandparents, the people living in larger travel trailers in the fifties was actually very common. Yes. The, the big trailers, there's a little bit of a misconception. Everybody's, get stuck on terminology. They're like, oh, that's a travel trailer, or oh, that's a park model, or oh, that's a mobile home. But you have to remember, in that time period, there was no difference. Trailers were just trailers. The industry would just grab whatever title they wanted. And it gets a little confusing because you would find trailers like Spartans. People think, oh, Spartans are a little bit more park models because they never had holding tanks. Or that Airstream from 1952 is more of a park model. Well, 
you got to remember, no trailer pre-1957 had any holding tanks. It actually was legal back then. It's a little bit of a scary thought. <laughs> Even in the Airstream manual, it would tell how to dig what they called a gopher hole. So when you got to your campsite, <laughs> you would dig a hole underneath your trailer, and that's where your black water went. Oh. And then you were supposed to be a good camper and cover it up. Cover it up. And then just hope the next person that backed in didn't dig your hole up. <laughs> or drive into it. That was the way it was back then. So having holding tanks is really not a category of, oh, is that a park model or is that a house trailer or is that a mobile home? Blackwater tanks really didn't start showing up to the very late 50s and still were not very common until the mid 60s. And then with gray water tanks, that really didn't even hit the industry to 1973. So, you know, tanks really has nothing to do with whether it was a mobile home or a house trailer. It's just... You know, yes, the smaller trailers were geared a little bit more towards like the sportsmen and the fishermen and the hunters. And then the little bit bigger trailers may have been for those with bigger families, or it may have been for those that needed to basically what we'd call today full timers. Mm -hmm. They may have not been full timers, you know, 12 months out of the year, but they may have gone on vacation for a month or two. Or I know my grandparents, after they retired, would, you know, go out west for the entire summer. So it would be like three months of traveling and then come back. Mm -hmm. So those were the little bit bigger trailers. And then when you even got into the big 40, 45, 50 footers, like my my mother's parents had, that was a lifestyle. It really was like the full timers we have today. And I really wish the industry would have, you know, probably by the mid to late sixties, I wish they would have come out with the terminology we use today of manufactured homes. That's really truly when the big mobile homes lost the, their mobility as much because <laughs> even some of the big mobile homes in the early sixties that were 10 wides by 50 foot longs, I've still got the ads for brands like that, that talk about how easy they are to move. Again, it wasn't weekend traveling. It wasn't traveling, you know, once a month, but you may have to move two or three times a year, whether it was with work, school, or just, you know, traveling seasonally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit of a difference of, of the trailers. And my personal love is the mobile homes of the fifties. I mean, I love all vintage trailers, but to me, there was just some really cool designs in that range of 35 to 45 foot in the fifties. Some really ingenious designs. I'd love to get my hands on a Spartan carousel. <laughs> yes. You and everybody else. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so Spartan is one of the companies for the audience. They're called a Spartan aircraft company and we have the history of them on our website, but they made, really high-end, really good quality trailers. And now they they have tremendous value as used trailers, you know, as classic yeah, trailers. Yeah, they, they were one of the most expensive. There was really only about two or three other brands that were in that same price range, if not more expensive than Spartan. They were a luxury, lightweight, aerodynamic trailer company that lasted for many years from 46 to about 62. They're very distinctive. Right. If somebody is not familiar with working on something like this, what are some good resources that someone can find to learn more about working on their own trailer? My personal belief, the best thing you can do to find out about, you know, some helpful tips on trailers, I highly advise to go to trailer rallies. Usually almost every trailer rally will have an open house where they invite the public out. I know 10 Ken Tourists, we do that on all of our events. We invite the public to come out and see. And that way you've actually got first-hand experience seeing exactly what it takes 
because mostly everybody there has got photo albums to show you the processes <laughs> and you can see the trailer in person. There's some great videos online, but you know, it may not be exact for your trailer. It may not be, you know, a real good detail or it may not be good information. I mean, unfortunately we live in a technology age, which is great, but it also can have some information that may not be the best mm-hmm. helpful tips. So yeah. just be careful with yeah. what you find online. If you are interested in a vintage trailer, if you go to a vintage trailer rally, there's going to be at least one for sale sign. Often several. Oh, yes. Right, yes. right. Because someone will have found something better, shinier. We have friends who are serial restorers. <laughs> you know, once they get done, then it's like, wow, that's beautiful. Okay, we got to okay, start Okay, sell over. it and start another one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but go to a vintage trailer rally. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, just even just for looking's sake, it's, mm-hmm. they're just... They know how to have a good time. It's very similar to a car show. Yeah. But a car show, you know, you may have the memories of the car, seeing the cars on the road, but, you know, the trailer shows are more of an overall experience. I mean, you get to go inside the trailers, and it's not just the trailers themselves. It's everything you've got inside the trailer from something as simple as fabrics or magazines or dishes or clocks. There's so much to the senses that just bring mm-hmm. back memories. It's, you know, my favorite rally ever. I did a rally in South Florida once and I had, I mean, if you, you'll have to go to my website and see photos of my Spartanet. I mean, I do it like it's 100% stepping back into 1950 down to even the bread loaf on the kitchen counter is original bread loaf from 1950s, (laughs) the wrapper and stuff. I mean, everything is original. And I had a, a woman that walked in, she was 94 years old. And when she walked inside, cause my trailer is big enough. I'm usually inside when people come in. And she just, it shocked me because when she walked in, she just kind of looked at me and just asked, she said, this is a 1950s Spartanet tandem, isn't it? And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did you know that? I mean, most people don't know every detail about it. And she asked if she could sit down on the couch and she had tears in her eyes and she apologized. She said, I'm sorry. She said, I'm just, I'm happy. She said, but my husband passed away five years ago and me and him, when we got married, our first trailer was this exact trailer and to see it to see it all set up she said this is exactly how i had it set up when we traveled because he was military from base to base and i told her i I was about to lose it i said you sit here all day if you want to i'm like you just and she just finally she got up and she just it was so surreal watching her walk through the trailer with her hands like just grabbing hold of everything from the cabinet latches to the fridge and it's just like those memories were coming back to her. And yeah. That was, just, that was worth it. So That's cool. so awesome. So as Tony said, make it a point to go to these. And, and Tim, you said earlier that, you know, like 10 can tourists, you have to appreciate, you, sh- you need to appreciate vintage. You don't have to own vintage. But a lot of these rallies also, you don't have to camp, right? A lot of them have like a public day where people can just come in and kind of have tours and, and look around and not Mm -hmm. even if you're not yet in a camper yet, and you're still trying to decide whether you want new or vintage, this is a way to spend the day, like going to a car show. Absolutely. Yeah, bring your checkbook. Bring your because checkbook. You may because you there's going to be a for sale sign there somewhere, and you oh, might yeah. need to buy that. But, <laughs> I right. mean, more like, as you said, it's like a car show. But a car show is usually a husband sitting in a lawn chair behind his car. The <laughs> wife is kind of bored. At a vintage trailer rally, everybody's having a good time. Yeah. It's a whole yeah. it's a whole different feel. And as much as I love car shows, 
I really love vintage trailer shows. Yeah. It is. It's such a different experience. Yeah. And people are sleeping in their trailers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's That's like they're using we them. always get there like, are you seriously sleeping in this? Do you use it? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. you get to come in and look at it, whereas the cars, like, you're not even allowed to breathe on them. Like, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, look from over there. <laughs> some of those paint jobs well, are sure, $30,000, yeah. yeah. just for the paint. So yeah. right. I understand that, but yeah. still. And, you know, you mentioned I'd be at the um, boot camp out west that Vintage Camper Trailer Magazine puts on. That's a really great event to go to. It's in Hollister, California, that is really a teaching organization or teaching class. There's like three days worth of classes that you can take that cover a variety of things. This year, I'll be teaching a class on building screen doors, wooden screen doors for your vintage trailer. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) The Vintage Camper Trailers Boot Camp is something I've wanted to attend for years and it's always like and there's something else and, and at least we we finally have the trailer now we just have to now we just have to not have something else scheduled well, the we're same about way. halfway through fixing it up well so. i know but <laughs> once you get it done you'll be able to go we have to yeah. we oh, have right. to admit to ourselves that well there's probably no matter how long we have to wait there will be something we haven't been able to finish yet. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're never done. Right. Yeah, right. It's just like an old car. Just when you think you're done. Oh, no. Something else. Is, yeah. You'll either want to add something or something will break. Yeah. But that's exactly. true of a modern RV, Some of the too. things that we're saying now, oh, that's fine. It'll be fine. Then when everything <laughs> else is done, then that'll no longer be fine. Like the, out- exactly. the exterior paint. Somebody really badly painted the outside of our camper. It's completely usable. It it's looks not t- important, <laughs> it looks but terrible. when everything else is great, then that's going to become the priority. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for talking to us today. We want everybody to know that we will put links to timsheinzdesigns.com and you can find out more about Tim and see the trailers and all that. And we are going to kind of sign off in a way, but Tim's going to be back. So hang uh. on. That was great. We are so fortunate that finally we were able to get Tim. That was so great, yeah. And uh, we're hoping that we catch up with Tim at a vintage trailer rally at some point in time. For sure. We should be closer to where he is on his side of the country. (laughs) And And we've got a vintage RV. We are working our way toward actually meeting Tim in person. Yeah, we have actually (laughs) made quite a bit of progress on the aristocrat. So we're really happy about that. And we even found somebody... who's willing to go up on the roof and do the things I don't want to do. So that was super cool. A couple weeks ago, we talked to Jackie from the RV insurance company, and we talked about how, you know, how important it is to insure your vintage RVs and how they're just kind of based on declared value. So it's a kind of thing you have to work with the insurance company to decide. But wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to make an insurance claim because your RV got stolen? Yeah, we actually have been looking around at things that might help us to hang on to our vintage RVs. And right. of course, you know, there's all kinds of locks and stuff. But we came across a company that builds a GPS tracking device that you can hide on any RV, new, used, whatever it is, called the WearSafe GPS. That's right. And we got to talk to Sean Gatrix from WearSafe GPS about the devices. They're really easy to install, even if it's temporary, and they will help you track the whereabouts of your vintage trailer. Yeah, so uh, we asked Sean about these devices, and here's what he had to say. 
that device has a battery built into it and also ties into the RV's battery. Exactly. So, yeah, correct. So if, you know, if someone finds it and takes it, it will also report that. Mm-hmm. So if someone um, cuts the wire to it or um, removes it or moves it, like I say, they've all got motion detection in them, the battery devices. We're going to send you an alert straight away as that incident occurs. Because obviously any tamper alerts, you need, we need to send it as quickly as possible just to right. help you because they do find it. Obviously, they're going to try and chuck it away or whatever. And obviously, we're trying to quickly get you to respond to that as quickly as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it can be portable magnetic IP67, which is waterproof. And um, this is a magnet. It's like a pawn on a chessboard. You put it on the top there and then uh, for three seconds, turn it on and then do the same to turn it off. Cause it's fully waterproof. It can be submerged oh, into wow. That's a meter of water, believe it or not, obviously not wide in, but um, it yeah. still work, which is really cool. With it being like RVs being out in the open and stuff, some people do install these things on the outside and under uh, where they're going to get really wet and stuff. Hence why this one's really, really popular. Plus, really good news, happy campers. We have a discount on the WearSafe GPS, and it's the latest item you can find on our discounts and deals section of the Stressless Camping website. So in the discounts and deals section, all you do is click the link to WearSafe GPS and use the coupon code STRESSLESS10. That's S-T-R-E-S-S-L-E-S-S number 10. And you get 10% off any WearSafe GPS device. And you know, something else you can find on our website is a few articles about vintage trailers, but this week our RV of the week is the Corvair Ultra Van. Now you may know we have had a Chevy Corvair Corvan camper in the past. You know, if you ever have vintage cars, there's always the one you sold where you're like, doggone it, I wish I hadn't. And that is absolutely my doggone it, I wish I hadn't car that I sold. In 1959, there was a dude named David Peterson, and he was an aircraft designer. And he loved taking his vintage trailer. Well, it wasn't vintage then, right? (laughs) Right. And his boat on adventures, but really couldn't figure out how to take them both at the same time. So... Especially in California, you can't tow two different vehicles at the same time. No, you can't be a (laughs) two-tow. He happened to see the new 1960 Corvair, and a light bulb went out over... A light bulb went, went off over on. his head. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't go like out. That. It went no, in. It went on. on. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't an LED or anything in those days. It was like an old incandescent bulb. <laughs> anyway, as an aircraft designer, he rented this big old garage and employed his experience in aircraft design and came up with a completely new RV concept that was more than a motorized trailer. Believe it or not, the design he came up with was this thing called the Ultravan, and it was literally a full-size Class A motorhome that weighed about 3,000 pounds what? and powered by the Corvair air-cooled six-cylinder engine wow. at the back under the bed. Huh. Yeah. So he called it the go-home at first, and it was a full-size RV, 22 feet long, 8 feet wide, and about six foot two interior headroom and the whole thing was just eight feet tall on the outside wow now if you think anything's missing get this it had 
black and gray water storage as well as fresh water. There was a stove, refrigerator, bathroom, shower, water heater, and even sleeping for four, all in a vehicle that weighs less than our old Honda HRV. That is crazy. Yeah. It just shows what technology there can be. And there's a lady right now who has one of these, and she has it as the Ultra Happy Camper Van. And you should follow her. She's on Instagram and all of that. Really, really cool. But this thing has no frame. The skin is actually the frame like an airplane. And so it's called a monocoque construction, which makes it light but strong. It's not the cheapest way to build anything. And there are challenges with this. Body shops don't always, especially in those days, they didn't really understand how to work on these. So there were some issues, you know, like... It was not something people were used to. We have a full article about this thing, and I would love to have one of these too because yeah. they're just the Corvair community calls them whales, and they have this this happy face on them. <laughs> yeah, they do, and they're they're just cool. There you go, the RV of the week, the Corvair Ultravan, and we'll put a link to the article that we wrote about it, and some pictures, and and a link to the lady who owns one. Yeah, absolutely. All in the show notes, which are on our website. And this is episode number 142. So look for that. A little bit different episode, too. A little bit different. But what's not different is that we are still going to stick with question of the week. And last week, I asked you if you had been overseas RVing. You know, have you been camping On a continent other than your own. (laughs) Although we actually didn't get anyone who said that they live, quote unquote, overseas. So if they are out there listening, they didn't talk to us. Oh, well, that's fine. And so we got a few people who have traveled overseas, including people who traveled uh, thanks to the courtesy of Uncle Sam. Right. And so thank you especially to Bob and to my brother Jim. They're the ones who answered and said that they camped overseas but during their military service probably (laughs) not as much fun as what we were thinking of no and boy do we appreciate their (laughs) service we sure do the two of you and of course all of our military veterans who have been overseas camping on the ground and in the back of humvees and (laughs) Uh, yeah but we also recognize that our friend robert morales has been overseas and also heath and Alyssa from rv entrepreneur yeah the rv well they they owned the Formerly campground until RV recently. Yeah. yeah, they've and been they have done doing that. a lot of change. Yeah, they've they uh, camped in New Zealand and Australia. Robert went to the Netherlands, Maybe. somewhere where it's cold. <laughs> so we found that Laurel wanted to go to Scotland, and Tom wants to go to New Zealand. And yeah, Tony <laughs> and I really would like to go to New Zealand. And that Australia. is on our list. Yeah, yeah. we even have friends there. And Nell tent camped in Spain and Germany. So rather than going RVing, probably some backpacking stuff going on there, which I think was a, maybe still is, but a really popular thing to do. You know what? A number of years ago. I just remembered I had an uncle who literally bicycled across Europe. Wow. Yeah, my Uncle Bill bicycled across Europe and obviously tent camp. Well, that's camp. a kind of a different recreational vehicle. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that counts as RVing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and what's our question of the week this week? This week I want to know, are you a sunrise person or a sunset person? Sunrise, sunset. <laughs> and yeah. I think you probably already know Tony's into this 
Not so much that he's into seeing sunrises, but he's I an like early bird, sunrises. and I'm a late night person. Yep, and I don't see very many sunrises. I sleep right through them. <laughs> I see the sunsets because you know they come at the end of the day, but I see a lot of sunrises. <laughs> in fact, when we're in our sticks and bricks out my office window, that's where the sun rises over a volcano. That's right. At least for now. <laughs> that question and all the others is available for you to read and answer at our fun and friendly Stressless Camping Podcast Facebook group. That's right. And you can find a link to that on our website. You can. Oh, hey, don't we have a vintage trailer-related maintenance reminder? Well, we kind of do. <laughs> uh, you know, we always advocate stressless camping, and we try to promote being stressless and all of that. And I just I replaced some butyl tape on our vintage trailer this past week, and that involved taking the, all the baggage doors off and reseating them with new screws and new butyl tape. And so I made a video. And he was not entirely stressless. No, I had to bleep some of the words. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I'll put a link to that. But butyl tape is like a gummy. It is almost like chewing gum. A chewing gum used as weather stripping. Yeah, it it basically (laughs) seals off. And they're still using it on modern RVs. It's like a gummy substance that they use to fill the gaps and especially you know a lot of trailers like the old stick and tin style the surfaces are corrugated or uneven and this butyl tape allows you to accommodate those unusual surfaces but after 50 years or more it (laughs) just gets hard and brittle so it's brittle butyl so watch the video don't have your yeah. children present. No, no it's he bleeped okay. everything I did a out. Good job of bleeping. <laughs> but yeah, there was some bleeping because I, but it I does learned give a thing some, or two. It, yeah, it does give some tips about how to deal with butyl tape. It does indeed. By the way, we are starting something new this week with our guests, asking them what's your favorite and least favorite camping memory. Take it away. Okay, well, we're back with Tim again. Tim, thanks for hanging out with us some more. And we have a couple more questions for you. And they get a little less businessy and a little yeah. more personal. We would like to know what your favorite camping memory is. Oh, there's so many of them. <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of great family memories of camping when I'm a child. But as far as the vintage side of my life with the vintage camping, it would probably be my very first vintage trailer rally. And this was way back early 2000s thought I was the only person in the world that was into vintage trailers <laughs> and happened to find the tin can tourist, which was still kind of small at that time. It hadn't exploded to its, you know, back exploded back to where it is now. They, I noticed they were having what they called their winter convention in Cedar key, Florida. And I was so excited. I immediately signed up for the rally was so excited. I had a 1950 Spartan that I'd been working on. Oh. I was still living at home. because I was still in college and I think it finally hit me one night. I was talking to my parents and my parents were looking at me like I'd lost my mind and said, (laughs) oh my God, you're meeting people on the internet and you're going to go camping with them. So this is probably going to be nothing but like grateful dead, you know, old grateful dead people that's like with their, you know, psychedelic t-shirts and their micro buses. You don't know what you're getting into. So I convinced them to go with me because I had plenty of room. It's a 30 foot Spartan net. And um, we arrived at the rally. And when I pulled in, I'm like, I just looked around and said, these are my people. You know, I have found where I belong and had the absolute best time of my life. And they all loved me because at that time it was still fairly 
a lot of the older generation uh-huh. and they were so excited to see somebody my age bringing a trailer because they thought it was my parents that were into it and my i mean the whole time my, i felt so sorry for my dad my dad would be sitting under my awning and every time somebody would walk up and start talking he'd have to point to me and he'd say go talk to the kid i know nothing about <laughs> but that was like the best experience and that's kind of what just started my addiction with even more so that's awesome now, the other question, we never like to really be negative. And so this, you know, maybe this is a funny story, too, in the long run. But what's your worst camping memory? Oh, boy. I've had a few of those, too. <laughs> oh, boy. Probably the worst camping experience was, again, with vintage trailers. We did an event in Blue Ridge Mountains. We were invited by the national park system to display vintage trailers. And I don't think the event itself was bad, but I don't think they did enough pre-planning for vintage trailers to know what was coming in. They were celebrating the anniversary. I forgot which anniversary it was for the blue Ridge parkway. And so I think they assumed we were all bringing like little teardrop trailers or stuff from like the twenties and Uh thirties, even though they, we, they knew what they were, asking for i mean because they we had to be you had to be personally invited to bring a rig so they reached out to people so they knew what was coming but i don't think they grasped the full extent of what it took what sizes they were what lengths they were and if anybody's driven the blue ridge parkway some of it is not trailer friendly oh, <laughs> especially right. with gps's gps's just don't work in that area <laughs> and the park that they were hosting this big celebration was and a roadside park built in like the 1930s. So the parking places they were going to put us were the original little pull-offs, like one car pull-offs from the 1930s. Oh, Well, I'm sure these great little pull-offs in the 1930s were either level or angled up a little bit. Well, here we are 80 years later and they're all slanted straight down to where it's oh. a complete, drop off oh hundreds oh. of feet off a cliff oh, with dear. no oh, curb, no nothing. <laughs> oh man. And we don't know where to set up. And these things were only made for cars that were like 15 foot long. Here I am in a 30 foot Spartan that <laughs> there's other people in long trailers and, no, and nobody knew who was in charge of the trailer part of it. I mean, there was just way too many chiefs running this event. And so we all kind of parked in like the little drive area. It's like, Oh yeah, there won't be anything going here. So once we fully got set up, no power, no water. Thankfully, one of our people in our group was smart enough that they rented the closest hotel room. So we had showers, which was a 45 minute drive one way. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Across state line into Virginia. I mean, we were, we were way out wow. of nowhere. And by the time we all got set up, then some big guy comes through and says, oh, no, y'all have to completely break down. This was like 11 o'clock at night. Move these rigs because... We've got officials and the governor's going to come through and we have to be able to drive him and security through. The trailers are too close to the road. So we had to move and it just was a nightmare. It was miserable. The weather was oh horrible. Oh my gosh. And then when it came time for the, the big convoy of blacked out tinted window <laughs> you know, limos and security, I think they did the loop at about 45 miles an hour, never laid eyes on the trailer after they made us move. And it, it just it was just a miserable trip. Matter of fact, I think after they did the drive through, 
all 15 of us just said, we're packing up and we're leaving. I mean, all of us <laughs> had driven at least 600 miles to get to this event. Oh, and man. It, it just wasn't planned well. I mean, it would have been a fun event, but they just, they didn't know vintage trailers. And they didn't know how to prepare for us. And there was no way I was parking where my trailer could just roll off the cliff and just <laughs> die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. in a way, though, then you and your 15 friends learned to ask more questions when someone invited you we to go did. somewhere. Most, most of us were in the Tin Can tourists that went. And I think we did have a new rule after that event that no matter where the event was, we would always send a member to go check out the venue first. Ah, good. Uh, that's a okay. good idea. Yeah. Wow. So it's not quite so funny. I mean, <laughs> you, you <laughs> can laugh. The we, we can laugh it and you now. can laugh it a little bit now. Time. Sure. Yeah, I get it. But at the time, it was probably just... Her totally miserable. Oh, I know words yeah. I would have said, and I would have gotten my mouth washed out when I was a kid for saying them. Oh, I know. and then there was there was no generators allowed because we were in like a national park, and then oh, no food anywhere. And they promised they would have food for us, and then when we got there, nothing. Again, forty five minute drive, no way to keep anything cool. It, it was a bit of a miserable trip. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing it. And it, you know, everybody, everybody now knows that if you get invited somewhere, make sure you know what you're getting into. (laughs) Well, Tim, thank you again so much. This has been so enjoyable to get to talk to you at long last. Yeah, and finally meet you, even though it's virtual, but it's better than nothing. (laughs) Sure. Well, you have to get the aristocrat done and come to a rally. Oh, we absolutely intend to. That's absolutely our intention. Yeah. And, you know, we're moving to Albuquerque, so we are going to be closer. So uh, we'll be more likely to be able to go to the rallies in the South and things like that. Right, right. But that's the the goal is to make it so usable we can just, uh, you know, go. Right. Perfect. Thank you again. Thank you for your time. And we are so, again, so pleased to to finally get to meet you. And we look forward to actually someday being in the same place at the same time. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. (laughs) All right. You take care. Keep in touch. And it was great meeting you here. You too. Thank <laughs> Take you. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. And then one more thing to let you know, we are on our way as we, as you listen, not as we speak, but we are on our way to <laughs> yeah. the FMCA convention in Tucson, which is coming up next week. Now you might be saying to yourself, self, self, they totaled their trailer. That's the right. Vintage isn't ready yet. That's right. How are they doing it? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. That's we right. Have next a week, you will, you will find out about how we are traveling for the next few weeks. And if you are at the FMCA convention or if you haven't yet made plans but want to, we are going to be giving workshops on Saturday, the 26th of March. And we are also going to have a gathering and we will have all of the information on the gathering and the workshops in our once a week email. So if you're not signed up for that, you can do so at any time. It's free. We put links to the stories, videos, and podcasts that will help you get the most out of your stressless camping adventure visit our website and you can sign up for the newsletter and we will never ever share your information we just send you one weekly newsletter and that's it that's it and of course that's also the place to jump off to our fun and friendly stressless camping podcast facebook group it is but before you jump off don't forget to go to the deals and discounts page for the best deals on all the things you need for your stressless camping adventure, including wear safe GPS. Yep. 
thank you to them for the new deal, as it were. <laughs> of course, we are on all the social places, but you can start at stresslesscamping.com. And from there, jump off to wherever you are in the social world. You'll find the show notes for this episode, episode number 142, also on our website at stresslesscamping.com. And when you are going to whatever podcast catcher you're going to use to listen to this podcast, we appreciate it so, so very much when you write us a review. A review of the podcast helps other people find us, helps Apple recommend us, then we get more listeners. And when we have more listeners, we can get more great, fantastic people to interview like Tim Hines and Sean Gatrix. Yeah. And of course, if you don't want to miss a future episode of the Stress is Camping podcast, it's free. It's free to subscribe on any podcast app. We are saving you a seat around our virtual campfire. And with all of that, we appreciate your patience with us as we change this one week's episode <laughs> a little bit, but not completely. And most of all, happy, happy camping, camping, all you cool, cool cats, cats and kittens. kittens. Oh, our friend Mark, the guy who does our voiceovers is calling. Hey, Mark. Hey, you jerk still owe me. Don't think you can get out of what you owe me for this episode. <laughs>